We're going to figure it out once you once you open space. Or uh, what if you're on a you know a cruise ship and uh, you're the first mate and you go to the captain of the cruise ship. You say, "Where are we headed? Uh, we're going to Matsalan. Oh, that's awesome. Okay, what's our what's our course? Oh, we just start heading south. We'll get there." My wife and I were going out to dinner a couple weeks ago, and we're driving in the car, and and uh, she said. Uh, did you, did you get the map that I printed out? And I said, why, no, sweetheart, I didn't. Did you get the map? I thought you were going to get it. Oh, no, honey, I didn't get it. Oh, but that's okay, because you're always so wonderful. It doesn't really matter if we have the map or not, as long as I'm with you. And that's how, the con- and that's how our conversations go. That, that was called an argument in our house. But thank God that we had a GPS. On uh, our BlackBerry, we just typed it in. We had the course right to where we were right right to where we were headed. Or worse yet, you know, what if we didn't have a destination at all? I mean, I'm sure you've never experienced this. You know, it's a date night. You got the kids taken care of. You finally get out the door. You get in the car. You start the engine. You start going down the, the street, and you say, "So where are we going?" Well, I don't know. Where do you want to go? Uh, wherever you want, honey, I'm, I'm just driving, I'm, you know, wherever you want to go. Well, I mean, where do you want to go? I, you know, I, I don't care. I, okay, I'm not going to get too dark because you'll start relating to it if I start getting into a really nasty, bad argument right here. And you'll say, that's, that's, that's what we do. And then it deteriorates and you end up at McDonald's or wherever. When you don't have... A destination in mind. By the way, that right there was a huge tip, guys, about how to have a great date night. Is you plan where you're headed, you plan the course, and uh, hope she likes it. And uh, so, if you don't have a destination of where you're headed, and or a course on how to get there, you're not going to arrive anywhere significant. You're not going to hit your goal. You know the old thing, if you don't have a target, you can't hit it. You can shoot errors all day long. And yet this is the way many people live their lives. They have no destination. There was a uh, a study done from Harvard many years ago, and uh, they had the whole uh, senior graduating class from Harvard. Uh, They asked them, how many of you have written down what your goals are in life? And only 5% of them had. 25 years later, they tracked these individuals down. And what they found was the 5% who had written down their goals were significantly more successful in every area of their life than those who had not written down their goals. You cannot hit your mark if you don't know what your mark is. And I want to say this to you today. God created you on purpose and with a purpose. He knows the end From the beginning, he made you specifically with a specific destination and a specific path to get there. He has a plan for your life that includes both the destination and the navigation. And I want to say for you and I to begin a brand new year without God is the biggest mistake we could possibly make. And if we don't go to God to find out what his plan is for us, we are going to spend another year feeling like we just didn't hit the mark. Because God's plan for your life is in his hands. 
The Bible says God created us. We did not create ourselves. The Bible says he that says there is no God is a fool. God is the source. God is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. And let me tell you exactly where God will start with you and with me every time. He will begin with his son, Jesus. Jesus is the center focus of God's attention. And that's why it says he that is in Christ is a new creation. Old things are gone. All things are new in Christ Jesus. In fact, let me show you a scripture out of the book of Colossians that says this very plainly. If you'll go with me to the book of Colossians chapter 1. Whether you are a new believer, whether you've been a believer for 40 years, whether you are a pastor, a Bible scholar, maybe a critic, maybe an atheist. You will find that when you communicate with God or he communicates with you, he will always point you to his son. Why is that? Colossians chapter 1, if you go with me to starting in verse uh, 15, this is speaking of Jesus Christ. He is the image of the invisible God. I'm going to read this off the PowerPoint here. I have a different translation now. I want to make sure we're reading together. He is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn. Over all creation. For by him, Jesus, all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. Let's go to the next verse. He is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. Next verse, please. You have verse 20 coming up. And through him to reconcile to himself All things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Now, you might find that basic if you've been walking with Jesus for a while. But I'm going to tell you, if you go to God, he will point you to his son. Jesus is the beginning. Jesus is the middle. Jesus is the end. You cannot set the right course if Jesus is not the center of that course. Now, go with me to the book of uh, Matthew. And let's look at Jesus arriving on the scene. In Matthew chapter 4, and starting in verse 18, as Jesus was walking up, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. Now here's this the most beautiful thing in all of creation. We just read out of the book of Colossians this huge, massive theological premise that Jesus Christ created all the galaxies. All the worlds are held together by Christ. They are made by Him. They were made for Him. He is the supremacy. He's above all things. And then you see this God walking on the beach. I just love 
what God did. God, who we read in the book of Colossians, cast the galaxies into existence, is not distant. He came to the earth in the form of a human being, and he's walking along the beach. It's just like he's walking along the beach down in PB. He might choose Del Mar. It's a nicer beach. And he comes upon a couple of guys that are at work. This is what I love about God. Here he is, the God. I know I've said this. I just, it's just getting my brain wrapped around. It's so beautiful. Here's the God of the universes walking into your place of work, walking down the hallway into your cubicle, walking into your classroom, sitting there with you as you, as an IT working on some computer problems. The God of the universe who is above all things, created all things, knows every star by name, knows you. And He wants to live life with you. He wants to be there with you when you play, when you fight, when you work, when you're with your family, when you're surfing, Whatever you're doing, Jesus wants to be right there with you. And this is the thing you will hear him say. Follow me. You see, we as believers, if we are not following Jesus, what are we following? You see, once we gave our life to Christ, we no longer follow anyone else or anything else than Jesus himself. He is our captain. He is our guide. He is our leader. So at the beginning of this year, God will say to you, follow my son. And anytime we take a left or a right from following Jesus, we are off the predestined divine set course for our lives. And we certainly will not reach our destination. Are you with me? Three people are going to live a successful 2010. (laughs) The rest of you, you're just floating out in the galaxies having no idea where you're going or how you're going to get there, but we'll be praying for you. Now, what does follow me mean? There are four things that follow me uh, uh, reveals. And all four of these things you can find in this scripture in John 14, 6. It says, Jesus answered and said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father Except through me. There are four things that Jesus said here as we follow him. Number one is, I am the way is direction. Now, Jesus said something that really irritates and frustrates people in other religions and atheists and and, uh, people that are caught up in the new age. And they say, well, we include all religions. Well, you don't include Christianity. I know you'd like to say you include Christianity. You don't. Because as soon as we quote what Jesus said, he is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And nobody gets to God except through Jesus Christ. You get really upset. Why are you getting upset? I thought you accepted all religions. You see, what Jesus teaches is all paths do lead to God, but only one leads to salvation. The rest lead to judgment. Because there's only one Savior who died for your sins. And it wasn't Gandhi, and it wasn't Muhammad, it wasn't Confucius, it wasn't even Mother Teresa, and it's not the Pope. 
is Jesus Christ. He is the firstborn above all creation. He is the image of the invisible God. He was the innocent Lamb of God who came to the earth to die for your sins. That's why he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's why you want to watch the Chargers game today? It's going to be on one channel. There is a network that purchased that game to be shown here in San Diego. You can decide, you know what, I'm going to watch it on Channel 6. Well, good luck with that. You can turn that on. You're going to be watching Barney while the rest of us get to watch the Chargers whoop up on the Redskins. You can't choose what channel you watch the game on because it's been purchased. Well, your soul has been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. You cannot get to God through any other religious leader than Jesus Christ because he paid for it with his own blood. So don't say you accept all religions because, you know, when we start talking like this, you get very upset. But you could get saved. Just yield yourself to Jesus. I like one person said, I don't I don't like it. It's kind of like. You know, Christianity is this real tight, small little avenue that you have to kind of squeeze through. And I like it, you know, more like a funnel, you know, where it's, it's, it's a lot bigger at the front end. And I said to the person, well, here's the thing. Jesus said there is a broad road that leads to destruction. So you can have this big, wide, open funnel if you have a, the wide end of a funnel. And you all get to go in. But Jesus said that leads to destruction. And it gets tighter and smaller and smaller and it ends up in judgment. You flip the phone around and you have a very small, narrow hole, and that's Jesus who says, I am the way. And if you will humble yourself and go through that hole, the only way, all of a sudden, eternity opens up to you. I remember Hope and I were in Hawaii. And before we were going there on our honeymoon, a pastor friend of mine who was on staff with me at the previous church, I was a staff, a pastor. He called us up on our machine no less than four times and left this message. It was only it was a clarion call. It was a clear message. He didn't stutter. He didn't shake. He didn't quake. He didn't he 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 didn't hesitate. He said, don't take the road to Hana. Is that right, Matsukatas? I'm sorry. Maybe you love the road to Hana. They're from Hawaii. I don't mean to diss Hana today. Yes, I do. I am going to diss that road to Hana. Don't take the road to Hana. There's one way in to Hana, and there's only one way out. There's one where you can't get to it in any other way than that road to Hana. It's four hours, and it's a nightmare. And you get halfway up there, and then you wish you had obeyed that message on your voicemail. There's only one way in and one way out. Jesus says, I am the way. There is only one way to God. Secondly, he says, I am the truth. He didn't say, I have truth. That'd be like being in the ocean and saying the ocean has water. No, the ocean is water. Jumping up in the air and saying, air has air. When Jesus says, I am the truth, he didn't say, I have some truths to offer you. That if you follow them, your life will be better. He said, I am the truth. That's why when he was standing before Pilate, who was going to sentence him to death, Jesus said, all of those who are of the truth, hear my voice. And Pilate said, what is truth? He completely missed it. Truth was standing right in front of him. Jesus says, I am the truth. Then he says, 
I am the life. What does this mean? Well, some would say it means to model Jesus. What would Jesus do? You know, that's somewhat good to do what Jesus would do. The problem is you don't have the capability to do what Jesus would do because Jesus is Jesus and you're you. That's why these New Year's resolutions are so frustrating. The truth of Christianity is Jesus says you cannot make it in your own broken humanity. Please invite me in and I will crawl inside your body. I will fill up your soul with myself and I will live through your skin. That is Christianity. That is why when we come to the end of ourselves and we cry out to God, you don't have to cry very far. He's not off in some distant galaxy. You have to get his attention. He lives inside the person who has invited him in. He is God. We are not. By the way, back on New Age, do you realize that the lie in the Garden of Eden was Satan came to man and woman and said, you can become gods just like God. That was the lie from the very beginning. It's the lie of Mormonism that you can become gods. It's the lie of new age that we are all God. No, we are not. We are the creation of God. God is God and he is the creator. And the reason that we don't like believing that is that means we have to bow down to him and allow him to dictate the course of our life. And we don't like that. We want control of our own destiny. What's my five-year plan? Every day I'm going to follow Jesus. Now that sounds irresponsible. It doesn't sound like you're a mover and a shaker. Jesus is my mover and shaker. He created the universes with a word. I would like to hang out with him and ask him what the best plan for my life is. Isn't that just insane? We don't know what's going to happen next. And yet we think we can plan five years ahead. Rather than just living on our knees and saying, God, exalt me in due time. So it's not imitation, it's incarnation, where Jesus lives through us. And then finally, follow him. Fourth means destination, and the destination is the Father. The direction is the way, instruction is the truth, incarnation is the life, and destination is the Father. Going to heaven to be with our Father forever is our destiny. When people talk about what's my destiny, that means what is, where am I end up in des- as, as, as my destination? Well, Jesus says, your destiny is to be with the Father in heaven forever. And I am the way. So our destiny is to go to heaven, but our assignment is to bring heaven to earth. We want to get as much heaven on earth as possible before we go to heaven. And Jesus is the way. That's why they came to Jesus and said, teach us how to pray the way you pray. All right, here's where it starts. Father, was the first thing out of Jesus' mouth. Here's how you pray. Father, the Bible says Jesus knew he came from the Father, that he was going to the Father, and the Father had given all things into his hands, so he put a towel on and began to serve. See, Jesus knew what his assignment was, was to bring heaven on earth, because he came from the Father. He wasn't insecure about where he came from. He knew he didn't come from some slime that crawled up on the earth and then grew legs and then grew some hair and a tail and then lost the tail, picked up a briefcase and became a human being. 
Okay, Jesus is not confused about where he came from. It says he came from the Father, and he wasn't confused about where he was headed. And knowing he was going to the Father, and he wasn't insecure about his resources. And he said, and knowing the Father had given all things into his hands, he had no personal insecurity about where he came from, where he was headed, who he was, or his assignment. That's why he could take off his robe, put on the lowest form of a, a, a servant's towel, and kneel down and begin to serve people. And he lived his life on purpose and with purpose because he knew what it was because he got it from the Father. How can we expect to get ours from anywhere else? And then he said, pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So Jesus told us very clearly, if you're going to start your new year outright, you've got to start it with me. Come, follow me. Now, here are things Jesus did not say to follow. Number one, he did not say to follow tradition. And this is very difficult for us because we are so shaped by our traditions. Maybe some of you are shaping your tradition about how your mom and dad related. And so you have these unexpected roles that when you get married, you go into your marriage expecting her to be a certain way and do certain things. She's expecting you to be a certain way and do certain things. And neither one of you have clearly communicated these roles because they're just tradition. They're just, they're your image. They're unspoken. You don't even realize them. And that creates tremendous conflict in marriages. It creates tremendous conflict with roommates or with employees and employers, pastors and congregations, leadership teams on, on staff. It doesn't matter uh, what area of life you're setting goals in. There are certain traditions that you have. There are people that come to our congregation and they just are not comfortable here because our tradition is, you know, it's kind of like a zoo. We just, when we get into worship, man, we just go for it. We love God. We raise hands. We clap. I had one uh, relative came and visited us and he said, you guys are kind of tribal. (laughs) And I said, thank you. He said, from every tribe, nation, and tongue, they will come and worship him. Well, he, was, he was born in a, in, in, as a Presbyterian, right, born as a Presbyterian. See, it's tradition, isn't it? Right? Once a Catholic, always a Catholic. No, not me. I'm sorry. When I was 19, I, I don't know, somebody introduced me to Jesus, and I didn't know I wasn't Catholic anymore. I just started following Jesus, and then I found out later that there's, in some people's minds, uh, a separation between being Catholic and being, being Christian. And I mean, I didn't think so, but many times I would ask a Catholic, maybe you're here today and I don't mean to offend you at all. I was raised Catholic, altar boy, all guy, Christian high school, uh, Catholic high school. And I went to my priest and I said, I got saved. I, I received your Jesus. And they said, what diocese are you a part of? I said, I don't know what a diocese is. And they said, when did you join this cult? And turned around and walked away from me. Now, I know that's not what all priests would do or all Catholics would do. That was my experience. And then I would I talk to some Catholics and I would say, oh, are you, are you a Christian? No, I'm Catholic. You see, the tradition can be so thick and so heavy that you miss Jesus. Amen. And you look to the Pope, you look to the Cardinals, you look to the rules rather than looking to Jesus. Right. Now, we can do the same thing. Even in Protestantism, we can do the same thing. We can have traditions that are so locked in that you think you go to somebody else's church and they're not raising their hands, they're not speaking in tongues, they don't take communion the way you do, and you don't think that they're close to God. Well, I have learned something from the Episcopals and from the Baptists and from the Presbyterians, from the Methodists, from Catholics. Mark was trained how to pray by two Catholic nuns. They loved Jesus. That's how why he can hear God. 
because it's contemplative and he listens and he can be quiet for long amounts of time without getting nervous. You see, we can learn from a lot of people as long as we are not letting our traditions blind us to who Jesus is. Now, this is what the religious leaders were doing in Jerusalem when Jesus showed up. And this is what he said to them. Thus, you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. I want to say to you, every time your tradition and the word of God have conflict, you need to pick the word of God. What does the Bible say? That's what you need to go with. I've had people say, well, I can't receive Jesus because uh, it's because I would feel like I'm I'm being disloyal to my family's religious tradition. When I was in India, boy, that was a hard one. I would I would I would challenge the young people. I'd say, if you want to receive Jesus, there'd be a group of Hindus. And we're talking about the children. We're talking about the parents, the grandparents, sometimes the great grandparents, the uncles, the aunts. And I mean, they are communal. There is no individualism there. And I knew that not only if they received Jesus, they would just put him in the pile of their 33 million gods. So I knew I had to make a very clear delineation. You need to reject all your other gods and say only Jesus Christ is your God. Now that's when it got a little testy. And I would say if you want to receive Jesus Christ and reject all other gods, stand up. I didn't think there was a chance on earth that anyone would stand up. 400 Hindus became Christians within a four-day period. Dirk and I were out there going to the villages. They were standing up right in front of mom, dad, grandma, grandma, because they heard the gospel. It hit their heart. The Spirit of God grabbed them, and they stood up against tradition. Many of them have been beaten up. Many of their churches have been burnt down. Some in, in Africa that we've gone to have been tortured and killed because they stand up against tradition. And they suffer for it. But they hear the word of God and they say, I am doing the will of God for my life no matter what it costs. Jesus also said, do not follow religion. Jesus says this to the Jews. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. In other words, when Jesus was talking to the Jews at this point, they were saying, Moses is our father. They were appealing to their religious roots. I've kind of covered this in the last point, letting tradition kind of bleed over into this point. But follow me. They are appealing that they walk with God because they are religious. Moses is our father. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the man in the wilderness, what they say Moses gave to us. Jesus says, well, your fathers ate the man that Moses gave to you, and they're dead. Those are fighting words. In other words, he's saying, you have a dead religion. I am the living bread which comes down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. That's why we say at our church, this church is about Jesus. He is the reason we're here. He's the reason. He's always the reason we are here. It's his presence. We're a presence-driven church. And it's the presence of Jesus Christ that drives us. Thirdly, now this is going to step on some toes, but watch. Jesus did not say to follow theology. In other words, don't let the Bible be an end in itself. If you do, you'll feel guilty when you don't read enough and you'll feel proud when you've read more than your next than your neighbor. Thinking that biblical knowledge is spiritual maturity. I'm telling you, biblical knowledge without Jesus is dangerous because you turn into a Pharisee and you judge everybody else and then use the Bible to do it. Remember the woman caught in adultery in the Bible? 
and the Pharisees, the, the people who knew the Bible frontwards and backwards, brought her to church. And Jesus was up here teaching. And they threw him, her down at Jesus' feet and said, the Bible says she should be stoned to death. And you know how, you know, you know this is a very common story. And Jesus said, well, he that is not committed sin, throw the first stone. I didn't know better. I was a freshman in high school, an all-guy Catholic high school, and I'm in detention, and we're all there. And, and I told the, the priest that was up there, you know, reading his newspaper while we're in detention, I said, I have a joke. I, I just didn't know better. I wasn't trying to be disrespectful. I, you know, I, you know, I can't even tell. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have even brought that up. I, I had a joke about this, and, it, you know, everybody's like, oh, my God. Yeah, oh, I'm not going to do it. Okay, I just... You have the, those of you that are interested in the joke, we can talk later. I'm going to get back up on the road. Look what Jesus says about those who think that studying the Bible is Christianity. You diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. So Jesus did not say, follow the Bible. He said, follow me. He said, if you meditate my words, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And so all revelation from the Bible is supposed to draw us closer to Jesus. Otherwise, you're just a Pharisee. Next, he did not say to follow culture. And this is so dangerous in our church. Listen, we are citizens of the kingdom of God. Listen to me, young people. If, you're in there, you, if you gave your life to Christ, you belong to Jesus Christ. You don't have a right to live your life the way you want to live it. And he has a set of values that are kingdom values that he expects you to live by so you can be recognized as one of his citizens and you are very distinct from those who are not citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And if you're... If the peer pressure in your life, or I'm not just going to say the young people. I know many of you work in office environments where it's very ungodly and they cuss and they smoke and they cheat and they steal and they're, you know, they're telling these stories and you just feel stupid because you're that, you know, goody, goody, two-shoe Christian. Well, you go ahead and be that. It's called a citizen of heaven. It's called a follower of Jesus Christ. Stand out from the crowd. Make it clear. Have that delineation so that when they want to know how to get to their destination in God, they can come ask you because you're clearly a sign to them. And so Jesus did not say to follow this culture. Here's what he said. From that time, Jesus began to preach. Here's the first sermon out of his mouth saying, repent, turn around, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In other words, learn the principles and the values and the culture of the kingdom, the kingdom culture, because you are my people. He says all through the Old Testament, I will make you a holy people unto myself. That's why they were leaving Egypt. Going to Mount Sinai, because God said, I'm going to teach them to worship me there. That's where he gave them the Ten Commandments, was at Mount Sinai. He's trying to develop a completely different group of people, a completely different culture with a completely different value system. I'm a rebel. 
I was a rebel before I got saved. I'm a rebel now. But I'm just rebelling against the right system and the right person. I'm rebelling against Satan, rebelling against my flesh, and rebelling against the world system. But I'm a servant of Christ. And so I'm still a rebel. I love standing up in the middle of religiosity. I love standing up in the middle of a worldly environment and being a Jesus follower. I like it. Because it gives people an opportunity to hopefully find Christ. Here's another touchy one. He did not say to follow family. And and to a certain degree he did. That we need to respect and honor our mothers and our fathers and live by their counsel. And he says in the multitude of counselors there is safety. But when the word of Jesus contradicts the word of your family or your friends or your counselors or your professor at school, that's when you need to stand up and draw a line in the sand. Say, sorry, I'm I'm a follower of Christ. Can I hear an amen? amen? Here's what he said. A crowd was sitting around him and they told him, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. That was Jesus' mom and Jesus had blood brothers. Who are my mother and my brothers, he says. Oh man, this is about to get offensive for Mary and his brothers. Who are my mother and my brothers? Uh, I'm sorry, Jesus. That would be Mary. And, and James. What's Jesus' answer? Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him. And he said, as he would to us here today, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Now I know when I departed from my childhood faith and I started following Jesus. I didn't know there was a holy war. I didn't know it would create conflict. But my goodness gracious Woo! When the baby of the family, the youngest of six, comes to mom and dad and tells them the way to God. That could create some conflict. Fortunately, the whole family's Christians now, all because of me. All right, and then... <laughs> Isn't that the way God does it, though? He picks the little baby, the Johnny who has nothing to say. Nobody will listen to his opinions because he's just a little punk on the bottom of the pile. And he ends up being the preacher. You know, he starts with that little insignificant nobody. And all of a sudden, one by one, they get saved. That's just the way he does it. Personal pursuits. He did not say, and this is where we're going to start winding it down here. Jesus did not say to follow your personal pursuits. The United States of America, I'm a citizen of it. I'll fight for it. I'll give my blood for it. I believe in the Constitution. But when it says that life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness is our goal, that is not my goal. The pursuit of my personal happiness is not my goal in life. It's the pursuit of His happiness. My life is to glorify God. He's not my servant. I'm His. So when I sit down to write the goals for my life, I don't start out, what would John like to do this year? I say, God... What would you like for me this year, for your purposes, for your kingdom, for your glory? Now, that's the only way you're going to live a life worth living. And so here's what Jesus says. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever whoever loses his life for me will find it. That talks about peer pressure. That talks about personal desires and goals. For what good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? 
For the Son of Man is going to come in His Father's glory with His angels, and then He will reward each person according to what He has done. So you might say, all right, well then where do I begin? How do I follow Jesus? It begins with wholehearted devotion. Listen, it doesn't begin with, I'm going to read the Bible more this year. I'm going to pray more this year. I'm going to give more offerings this year. I'm going to go to church more often this year. That's not where it begins. Those all should be the results and the fruit of, the natural byproduct of loving Jesus with wholehearted devotion. You see, it's being in love with Jesus and saying, I'm a Jesus follower. Now, what would you like to do? He'll say, tithe, go to church and worship me, give to the poor, spend time with me in prayer. Feed on my word. See, all that stuff comes out of Jesus talking to you about following him. Otherwise, it becomes religious duty. Now, some of you may feel like, you know, you've really blown it. Last year, honestly, you got so distracted that you just did not follow Jesus very well at all. Well, thank God it's a new year. Thank God it's a new day. And the great thing about Jesus is he will never berate you. That critical voice in your head is not him. Ever. One of his closest disciples denied even knowing him under pressure and just cursed. Let's read it. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, after Simon had denied even knowing Jesus, Simon, son of John, do you really love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. You see what's happening here? Peter blew it. Jesus comes to Peter, and he doesn't talk to him about his betrayal. Doesn't even bring up his sin. Doesn't talk about his failures. He only wants to know one thing. Do you still love me? Because if you still love me, Peter, game's on. And Peter said, you know I love you. The next thing out of Jesus' mouth is Peter's course, his assignment. Feed my sheep. Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He said, yes, Lord, you know I love you. He said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? See, Jesus is trying to drill down into Peter's religiosity. Peter... Your life, your goals, your assignment, your destiny, everything begins and ends with your love for me. If that's not there, this isn't going to work. He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. He said, feed my sheep. And he says, I tell you the truth. Now he's going to set his course and tell him his destiny. When you were younger, you dressed yourself. You set your own five-year plan. You set your own New Year's goals and went wherever you wanted. But when you are old and you stretch out, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you to where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said, the first thing he said, the same thing he said the first time he saw Peter, he says it again here. Follow me. He said, well, you see, that's why I don't want to give God my blank piece of paper and ask him to make up my five-year plan because look what happened to Peter. Yeah, but did you see where it says, by this is how Peter was going to glorify God? 
That is supposed to be the purpose of our lives, the end of our lives. When we get to heaven and we see Jesus face to face, I don't want to hear him say, you gained the whole world and lost your soul. You didn't live for me. You ignored me. You just kind of used me. I want him to say, "Woo! what a ride, huh? Yeah, man. I was with you every, every, every inch of the way. It was awesome. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Come on, let's go. That's what I want to hear. Whoo! So it begins and ends with Jesus. Jesus said this in John 14, 15. If you love me, you will obey what I command. It all begins with love. Now, maybe you're that person that feels like you have failed. I want you in closing it today. Would you close your eyes? I was going to put this up on the PowerPoint, but I don't want you reading. I want you to hear it. Maybe you feel like you have not been the kind of Christian you want to be. You have not been the kind of Christ follower that you want to be. You know he should be first, and he has not been. We're going to clean that slate right now. And I want you to close your eyes and listen to this little excerpt from Henry Blackaby. Jesus has a wonderful way of restoring us when we fail him. Now listen deeply, family. He does not humiliate us. He does not criticize us. He does not ask us to make a resolution to try harder. Rather, he takes us aside and asks us to reaffirm our love for him. Peter miserably failed his Lord when he fled with the other disciples from the Garden of Gethsemane. Later, he publicly denied that he even knew Jesus. Maybe you've done that at work. Maybe you've done it at school. Peter must have wondered if he had been capable of being Jesus' disciple when he was unfaithful to Jesus in his most crucial hour. As you begin a new year, you may be painfully aware that you have failed your Lord in many ways. Perhaps you were not faithful. Perhaps you disobeyed his word to you. Perhaps you denied him by the way you lived. Jesus will take you aside, as he did Peter. He will not berate you. He will not humiliate you. He will ask you to examine your love for him. He asked Peter, do you love me? If your answer like Peter's is, yes, Lord. Then he will reaffirm his will for you. If you truly love him, you will obey him. Jesus does not need your resolutions. Your recommitments or your promise to try harder this year. If your resolve to obey God last year did not help you to be faithful, it will not make you successful this year. Jesus asks for your love. If you truly love him, your service for him in the new year will be of the quality that he desires. Can we come back to Jesus this year, right now in this moment? Let's just close our eyes and let's come back to Jesus. As Tim said at the beginning of the service, When we do Christianity properly, it's simple. We come to Jesus and follow him.
Will you reaffirm your love to Jesus right now, just right where you are? Just let that be your starting point for this new decade. Reaffirm your love to Jesus right now. And as you do that, I want to take authority over the spirit of shame and the voices of condemnation that are not from God. And I rebuke them. The elders of this church rebuke the spirit of shame and the critical voices that would hound and harass and paralyze God's precious people. We rebuke you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth. You are not the voice of Jesus. So we will not listen to you in this church. Lord, we ask that you turn your voice up loud. The voice of love and affirmation. Even in your correction, it's full of hope. Speak to us this year, Jesus. And we will follow. I want to ask you today, if you're in here and you have not yet followed Jesus Christ, you've not yet 